Our passage today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 22 to chapter 22, verses, or verse 5. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it, it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gate will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were, not, were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. This will be um, our last message in our opening series of the year on, uh, on our values. Um, the, the, values that we, the value that we are going to focus on today is um, city, that we care about our city. Um, not every church has a focus on city, but our, our church does. And... And particularly what it means that um, we as believers in Jesus have a citizenship of heaven. And we are all intend to be contributors and builders of a kingdom and of a city. So there's that one on the right here. Heavenly citizens building our city as um, citizens of the city of God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And this will be the last uh, message of this series. And then next week I'm going to start a, a brand new series um, actually, it'll be about the Ten Commandments, but that's kind of boring if you put it that way. Um, it's a series that we're going to talk about called Gospel and Law. Um, how do you see the gospel through the law? And most of us, we are fixated on the do's and don'ts, but it's actually not the right way to look at it, all right? It's to look at it through what Jesus has done for us. And so um, I'd say that I'm actually excited about the series and uh, there's so much missing in our culture about how to live what is right and what's wrong. And, um, of course, people don't know about um, how the gospel should you know, um, reshape the way we think about law and commandments and then give some much deeper wisdom than law can actually give us on its own. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. So that's a little pitch for the start of next week's message. But today, let's get back to heavenly civics. That's the name of my message, all right? Part one, temples and the light of cities. Part one, temples and the light of cities. Part two, the glory of the Lamb for city building. The glory of the Lamb for city building. And I'm going to close um, by sharing the gospel with a meditation um, that I'm going to call Seeking Worldly Fruits versus the Lamb's tree of life. This passage talks about the tree of life, and it doesn't really usually get too much attention, but it's actually tremendously important, um, I think, especially in light of what it means to build cities, okay? So 
Let's get into it. Part one, um, temples and the light of cities. This, uh, a lot of times people don't pay attention to, you know, some people know, some of you know that this is the way the Bible ends. This is the last, we're getting toward the very end of the Bible. And this is the way the Bible ends. It ends with this glorious picture of a city, which the Bible calls the New Jerusalem. And um, for those of you who may not know, just I, I, let me just give you, just, just step back for a moment here. There's some people who think um, we care about the city because you know, it's strategic. It, it is strategic. Um, many years ago, I heard Tim Keller say that if you're a Christian and you care nothing about the city, but um, you hate the way the culture is going, then you should just basically shut up. <laughs> That's the way he put it. And then, and then he went, so, sorry, <laughs> I'm usually not that mean. <laughs> and then he apologized and he got a lot more gentle like he normally is. But as soon as he said that, I knew he was right. <laughs> because the way of the city is the way of the culture. Everything that is, uh, all the culture is built up in the cities. The city is not simply the place where a lot of people live. You don't just get art from a city. You know, you get the industry of art from the city. Do you know that... Um, there is, there's, no, there's not going to be any film industry in the middle of a farmland, okay? You know, Hollywood is in the middle of a city. Right? All the great movie-making places of the world, they come from great cities. And so um, the politics are done in cities. All the great ideas are done in cities. The culture, the way of life flows out of cities. So it is strategically very important, and that we do care about that, but that isn't really exactly why we, we want to talk about this. And I want to, just from the Bible, the Bible starts with a garden and it ends in a city. That is not, um, that's not just incidental. It's like, well, that's kind of interesting and, um, you know, a piece of trivia. It's not a piece of trivia. It's important. It's God um, put that in the Bible on purpose. So just say a little something about a garden. It's very important that when God made creation and then, he said, Adam and Eve inside a garden, and then he said, work it. Work the garden, work the creation. Why a garden? There are people today who have a certain ideology about creation, like nature is good, but human beings who pollute are bad. Right? There's, a, there's a lot of people who actually have this kind of attitude. But God does not look at untouched nature as somehow good and then like something that human beings are doing bad. What God did is he gave people a piece of creation and then said, order that creation. <laughs> and then come forward and be like a co-creator, a co-maker with me. That is actually the invitation of God in the garden. It was, it's a commission of God upon what it means to be human. And then as human beings then begin to create in the world, then we get this thing called culture. And then, and then you don't just stay in gardens. Because when human beings start to take the potentiality out of creation, first, you know, you, you think, it's just, okay, well, first, you just got to eat. <laughs> and then out of the, then we're going to build houses. And then we're going to build more than houses. We're going to build grander buildings. And we're going to build schools. And we're going to build stadiums. And we're going to build courthouses. We're going to um, build all these kinds of things. And then and as it grows and grows and grows, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get a city. The city is, is the ultimate peak of what God intended to start out of the garden. But the problem is, 
that the city built by man for man is wicked. That's really the problem. <laughs> and the city built by man for man, ultimately, everything, even that he does, dies. <laughs> and it cannot satisfy the human longing for something beautiful and glorious. Okay? Now, let's just stop for a moment here. So, God says the ultimate filling, you know, heaven is not just God's going to like destroy everything and now we're going to go to a, a better place. There's some people who have a conceptuality of heaven like that isn't what God's intention was. God's intention was to take human beings and take his creation, invite them to be co-makers with him and turn it into something heavenly. God's ultimate goal was not to take us out to a place called heaven, but to make this creation a place that's heavenly. And thus, the ultimate peak of it would be a heavenly city. So how we live and begin to look at the city of man, we are here to live in a way that's counter to, to say there's a better way to live in cities. There's a better way to build cities. There's a better way to inter interact with our creation and walk together to make a way of life that doesn't just die. That's, that's, that's why we care about cities. Now, let me, let me get into this, this, this odd verse. Um, verse 22. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is written by, um, you know, the Apostle John. He saw this great vision, and this is the way, you know, the whole book of Revelation, this is the way, this is the culmination. And at the old culmination, after God, you know, and then, and then Jesus' son, you know, crushes all his enemies, emerges this great city. And then this, this description of the city is, is odd. And there's, um, there's, you know, a lot of people get that they really hung up on the gold gates and, and, and then all the incredible jewels and, and, and all that. But I want to focus on this. Verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon or to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is a lamb. Let's just stop for a moment here. Um, if you grew up, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian household, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm from the Bay Area. It's a very secular place. And somehow this just sounds like a very strangely, weirdly, weirdly religious language. Um, I saw no temple in the city, and it's a strange, it's a strange idea. Um, if you grew up in a secular city, you might not consider that strange. <laughs> because in a secular city, you're like, my city doesn't have any real temples, and so what's the big deal about that? It, it's a big deal. <laughs> it's a really, it's a... Right now, let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a city with no temple. There is no such thing. Not even our city. Every city, what happens is, as human beings begin to live, we have to live together, and then we make meaning out of how we live together. We don't just eat, and then let's like eat, let's, you know, let's eat, let's fall in love, let's make babies, and then die. <laughs> you know, that's not life. We have to have a meaning to life. As we make meaning to life, you know what you have to have? We make monuments to the meaning. And the meaning that is the highest worth, that's what we call our glory. Every city has to have monuments to what they consider most compelling and most beautiful. It's worthy of their life. So, um, Generally, throughout history, uh, those temples 
they're religious temples. And so if you travel around the world, you'll go to a city, and maybe not even a big city, it could be a small town, it could be a large, medium-sized city, and all, they all have temples. They all have, and um, if you go to Thailand, you'll see Buddhist temples. <laughs> if you go to a Muslim country, you'll see mosques. And of course, if you go to Europe, you'll see some of the most glorious churches that were ever built, right? Um, because, you know, Christianity was the dominant religion. And so what are these? These are temples to their glory. But what happens in a secular city? <laughs> are there temples? Of course there are temples. It's just that we don't call it religious because our gods are not, you know, it's not, it's not some idea of some religious god. So let me give you some examples. Um, in other cities in the round, uh, world, you will see in the modern secular city, you'll see skyscrapers. And you know what happens is there will be a company and they'll make a lot of money. <laughs> and you know what? They'll be at some point, the company that makes a really serious amount of money, they'll want the most glorious building in the city. <laughs> and it's often the biggest, tallest, most incredible building in the city. It's really interesting. I don't know if you know this, but um, there are people... I've read guys who do stock analysis and they say as soon as a city and an industry builds a building like that, usually the indicators are their, their, their industry is going to go down. So bet against their stock. It's pretty interesting. And it's actually, it's really interesting that that monument of pride, because that's really what it is, it actually goes before a fall. But it's not, they're not always tall. Um, I live in Cupertino and there is a temple in my city and it costs five billion with a B, B, billion dollars. And when someone draws five billion dollars a mile and a half away from your house, it seriously warps the neighborhood. Let me tell you, that's a temple. And uh, some of you know it, it's, it's Apple's headquarters, right? And many of you, many of you, 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 liked, you, like, you like to... Uh, you know, you like to serve that temple too. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I like to use Apple products and I help pay for that $5 billion temple, right? And so, and then of course, if you go to other towns, if you go to certain um, towns in America, um, you know, they, we call them college towns, but the, the, the biggest glory inside that town is usually a university. And they like to raise money and make their buildings impressive, right? And if they don't, they don't get more money. <laughs> That's how it works, right? And then if you go to other towns, and they might not even be major cities, it may be even a relatively small town, but you know what's the most important building in that town? It's the football stadium. <laughs> it's the football stadium. They're like, there's, town, there's little towns in Texas, and let me tell you, the most important <laughs> place in that town is like the Baptist church down the street, but the really most important building in this town is that stadium right there, you know, where all the high school football games happen, right? And so, all cities are built on temples. And yet, here we go. It's very strange that says, this city does not have a temple. And why? Because you don't have, you don't, we don't need a monument to the glory because the glory is there, <laughs> Because what is utterly most compelling and beautiful and worthy of your life, it says the temple is, this is really strange, the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. 
and the lamb. Therefore, the city doesn't need, you don't need some you know, sign or like some branding, you know, Apple has that branding and that branding is like, we, you know, we make these products and they love putting that branding up there, you know, and then it shines. I mean, what is that? That's, that's a kind of light of the glory of Apple, you know? All your, all your products, they're all going to have that little, that they're all going to have that branding symbol. And you know what that is? That's its sun. <laughs> that's really what it is. <laughs> And if you, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, today's Super Bowl Sunday, you know, you, you, there's a lot of people walking around our city, you know, wearing red. <laughs> and um, they're wearing red and they're wearing, you know, the Niners logo. And you know what that is? That's, that's the light. <laughs> that's the light that shines off the glory of the 49ers. <laughs> and you know what? You know what this passage says? The city does not need a sun or a moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp is the lamb. Now, who's the lamb? Let's just stop for a moment. Okay, this is important too. I'm going to unpack this um, theology. This is really important. Why does the glory have to come? Why does the light have to shine from the lamb? Now, if you grew up in the church, this might not be as interesting to you. But if you did not grow up in the church, this will be, this will be um, eye-opening. Why is it a lamb? Okay. Now, for those of you, um, you know, who didn't grow up in the church, the lamb is a reference to Jesus. <laughs> the lamb is Jesus. But let me just back you up here. If you, grew up, if you grew up in the church, you already know the answer. Jesus is the lamb. But why is it important that he's the lamb? And why isn't he, why isn't he called the king? <laughs> why isn't he called the king? He could be called the king. Why isn't he called the Lord? Why isn't he called... Uh, you know, the, the Prince of Peace here. He could be called a lot of things because Jesus, there's a lot of names that we give to Jesus, but here he's called the Lamb. And I want us to chew on this for a moment because what it's saying right here is that there's God the Almighty, that's the way the, 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 the verse says it, but and the Lamb, and the glory comes from God the Almighty and the Lamb. The Lamb is the lamp. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's God. He did not need to create it's like, let's have a little hobby. We'll just make the universe, right? He didn't need to do that. And then when he did do that, he's utterly almighty. And then, you know, these, these foolish, you know, these foolish uh, beings, human beings. I mean, what's the difference? It's like the human beings, these spiders, they come and bit me, and just squash them, right? He's almighty. He can do all these things. Demons, what are you? He can just flick them out and then that's it. There's something really delusional about Satan to think he can take on God. <laughs> he can just flick him off like, you know, like less than a fly, right? That is God the Almighty. And yet, in the world, the lamp that is going to shine and give us the glory is going to come from a lamb. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. In, in so many, it's not even just Jewish ancient culture, but in, in many ancient cultures, there's a fundamental understanding that um, if you're going to get something really important, that there's going to be food <laughs> and there's going to be worship. At the center of food and worship, something dies. And that something that dies is usually an animal. And it's a precious animal. And uh, it's interesting. It's a, a lamb is not an uncommon choice or a calf. right? And 
you know, it's in the Bible, God commanded, take, you know, your, your sheep or your goat and then pick one that's utterly pure. You're picking one that's the most precious, the most valuable. And normally what you do with it is you will breed that one. <laughs> you would breed that animal because that, an because that animal is not just in and of itself valuable because that animal, guess what you know what that animal is? It's money. <laughs> it's your wealth. It's your life. <laughs> you're going to eat this animal. You're going to breed this animal. You're going to trade this animal. It's of all, the, all of that you have, it's, it's more precious than your corn, than your wheat. And it represents that life, you're dependent on, on life to have life. And all these people understood that, you know, if, if the gods, I mean, only, only now we live in, the, in this insanity of atheism, right? That human beings are not really in control, that we're dependent on creation and life to be given to us, and that we, there's something bigger and more. And what was often sacrificed or was eaten or celebrated was this seemingly lowly, very gentle, but very, very precious animal. So what happens when God who can flick off demons and crush us and, and, and he just makes, he just says things and goes, let's have a galaxy. <laughs> and whole galaxies just happen, right? And this is our God. And yet, then at some point he said, I made the creation so that I can come and be in creation and not just be human, but be a human being that will be the lamb. But what does that mean? It is more than I will simply be with you. It is more than I will simply care about you. It is, more, it is that I will give you life. I will die for you. I will serve you. I will love you and do whatever it takes to serve you, even if I have to go to the very, very bottom. That's the lamb. And it says here in this verse, this is the nations. These are all the kings. They will bring into it the city, the glory and honor of the nations. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. That's verse 24. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Because there's no more wars. You don't have to shut the gates. You don't have to be worried about people having all these wars and, and, and oppression. And you're not going to have exclusion out of the city. You know, it's not, there's no racism in the city. And then they will bring their glory and their honor into it. And all be because of God said, I will come down and give you my glory. And the glory of the highest highest was to make him the lowest lowest. And thus heal us of the city that we build. <laughs> now I want to make one more point and I want to close. And I want to go close part one and then go to part two. One of the great readers of the Bible is um, Augustine. And Augustine wrote this incredible book, which I read about mm, two-thirds of. <laughs> it's a big, big book. <laughs> okay, hard book. Um, and, he taught, and he called it City of God. And he made a commentary upon all the ways of life. I mean, he, he lived in the late Roman Empire. And it was, he lived during a time when the Roman Empire is declining. Um, but he knew this is like, up to this point, this is the greatest empire the world's ever seen. Hmm. 
But yet, as he looked at the empire, the civilization, he called it the, you know, he, he talked about God from, from the gospel, there is a city of God. And he put it simply, in the city of God, there would be shalom, there would be peace. There'll be a flourishing of all that is beautiful and that we long for. And the city of man, there's only pride and violence and greed and envy and death. And you know, it's been something like 15, 1600 years since he wrote that and nothing's changed. <laughs> it is the city of man. The city of man is built on power and pride and pleasure, and oppression, and violence, and death, right? But the city of God, the very first thing is God himself will become a lamb so that he will put, he will put to death the most wicked and detestable thing. It says there's nothing unclean or detestable will enter that city. You know what that means? There'll be no pride, and there'll be no racism, and there'll be no more envy, these detestable things. And the only way we can have a healing this way, if God comes and his humility, his glory is his lowliness. No longer will we reign because one who has just an iron fist, who makes more money, who has more power, who can make you do things because he can fire you, he can make you do things, he can throw you in jail, can make you do things because he, he has more power than anybody else. No, that one who rules, reigns over us is a gentle and lowly lamb who's done nothing less than die for us. When that is the glory that shines over us, we'll live in a city where there's nothing detestable. Hmm. Let's go to part two. All right, the glory of the lamb for city building. So, we are here to be shalom Contributors, shalom makers, along with Jesus. Shalom is often translated peace, but it's not a very good translation. I, I, I like to translate it as completion, flourishing, overflowing. The city was, invent, was, was intended so that it would be a place of shalom, flourishing, joy, overflowing, right? And um, the citizens of the city of God should be the best citizens of the city of man. Because if we think about what it means to belong to this city, to this community, to contribute to this community, should, and we are here to say we want this place to have shalom, flourishing. We want it to have it, we want it to have joy and peace and flourishing. It's like justice. Yes, we want justice for our city, but, but more than justice. You know, justice is actually... From the Bible's point of view, justice is a low goal. <laughs> That's a low goal for our way of life. And of course, you know, regularly we consider it such a high goal, and it is a high goal, but not from God's point of view. You know, like justice, that's just like the bare minimum requirement before we can get to shalom. And if we're going to get to shalom, how should those who are under the Lamb who is the King the Almighty who made himself lowly. How are we to live and think about our city? And so what I want to do is just give you those three examples. You know, I'm going to try to hit these briefly. Three examples of heavenly civics, right? 
of what it means to do city building from the gospel. All right, so let me do the first one, all right? So let's just talk a little bit about work. Okay, this is a really work-driven city. Much of what makes a city is work. It's, it's the work that happens. It's, it's the economy. Um, whether you are in the education or a lot of you are in tech, uh, some of you may be in finance, some of you, uh, you know, you do other things. So let me just give a couple examples. Um, so have you ever thought about what you do for your work? For so many people, here are our values and our approach to work. First of all, how do I get a name? Because I don't know who I am and I'm, nobody thinks I'm nothing. So that's how we do, how we, in America, what's your name? What do you do? And what do you do is your identity. And if what you do isn't much, you're not much. So you have to do something that is a name that gives you identity, that gives you worth. And if you don't feel that you have much, that you do much, then you feel insecure. And so what we do is, the first, one of the first reasons we get a job is so we can feel our insecurity. And so it's not the work. It's like the work itself. How does the work contribute to the shalom of my neighbors and of the city? That's not what we're interested in. <laughs> That's not what we think about. You know what we think about? How does the work fill my insecurity? In other words, pride. Here we go. See, Augustine. Pride. And then if you do your work well and then you get promoted and then your name goes up and you make more and more money, it's, it's for a lot of people, it's not, the money is not even the most important part. It's like, I get more money and now I can buy you know, a better car. That's, that's nice. And of course, it's, that's not unimportant. But for some people, the money is actually really what it is. It's the way to prove their pride. <laughs> I mean, think about it. There's a lot of people in this city and they make millions of dollars, billions of dollars. Nobody needs a billion dollars. <laughs> Nobody needs a hundred million dollars. Nobody needs ten million dollars. Right? You know, after this game is over today, Super Bowl Sunday, then there's going to be the off season, and you know what's going to happen? There's the whole intrigue of this superstar is going to make more money. It doesn't matter. Is it going to make twenty million or thirty million? It really makes no difference. But you know what it matters for? The pride, oh, he makes more than that guy because he's better. Built on pride, see? And when you go to work, you know, I'm better than him. Who, how much do you make? Oh, we're not going to talk about that. You don't actually say that, right? But if you found out that the person who works less than you made, less, made more than you, you'd be angry, justifiably, because that'd be unjust. But you'd also be angry because your pride would take a serious hit. And exactly, and you're like, no, nah, I can't work here anymore. <laughs> I can't work here anymore. Because we work here for the money and the pride. Right? If we're really honest, so now, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be doing holy work. I am not immune to this. And I know all pastors, they're not immune to this either. This is work. So let's, but how about if we do the work for the shalom of our city. How about that? So let's, let's give you an example. Finance. What's finance for? It's to, you work for your company, you run all the numbers so you can maximize the money, and then, you know, your company does better money. And then because you help your company handle the money better, you, you get paid nicely. It's a pretty good job, doesn't it? Is that the point 
of finance? The point of finance is not simply to maximize profit, because, but that's the way I know our fallen world thinks about it. In the heavenly civics, the point of finance is stewardship. It's responsibility. How can we take our, this company, and this is the glory that we contribute into the city, how can we handle our money in such a way that we can contribute more, even better, and bless our neighbors for the shalom of the city? That's, that's finance. That's what it should be. <laughs> Let me give you a different example. Let's say you're a janitor. Seemingly a humble job, right? I mean, I'm sure most of you didn't grow up thinking like, I want to go, I have the ambition to go be a janitor. You ever been into a bathroom that hasn't been cleaned? Is that a fun experience? It does not smell nice. You don't want to use it. You don't know if it will make you sick. And you certainly don't want your kids to go in there. But... What, what does a janitor do? It's dirty. It's chaotic. It may even be dangerous. And then what the janitor does is put order and beauty and shalom so that the neighbors can have flourishing. Whoever comes to the bathroom can have flourishing. Isn't that weird? <laughs> That's what a janitor does. <laughs> you ever thought about that? And if you actually think about that, it's a pretty important job, isn't it? <laughs> it's a really important, it's not a little bit of an important job. It's a really important job. And you know who else does that? God does that. There was chaos, and then God put order and beauty into chaos so there could be shalom for all those who are in his creation. It's like God. And it's a piece of servanthood. If Jesus came to Silicon Valley, he might not be the CEO of a, of a very important tech company. He might make his day job running a janitor service. I could see it. I could see it. Let's go to a second one. How about marriage and parenting? This has something to do with citizenship? I thought this was a private matter. It's not a private matter. <laughs> In America, we have this delusional idea that marriage and parenting is a private matter. It's a very public matter. <laughs> okay? Why? Because the fruits of your marriage and of your parenting are going to go out into the city. <laughs> it's going to go out into your city. And if your marriage is terrible, guess what? You are de putting detestable things into the city. Do you know that? If your marriage is terrible, your children are going to probably not be able to get married or they'll have a terrible marriage. And they'll become broken people that go into the city and here you go. You know one of the best gifts you can give your city are? Then give, you know, one of the best gifts you can give your city is a good marriage and children who grew up in a good marriage and children who were raised to become citizens to contribute to the shalom of the city. That's actually what heavenly citizens should be thinking about when they get their kids. So all of a sudden, we have kids, they're my kid. I want you to exactly what you mean. I want you everything I want you to do. And you're, you're, you're here to reflect me. No, yeah, they're not here to reflect you. They're here to reflect God. And they're here to reflect God so that you can send them into the city and they can glorify him and bless their neighbors. 
That's, what, that's, that's, that's actually what marriage and parenting is. And so, so much as we get married because you're here to serve me. Tim Keller once said it this way, that I, I, I love this phrase. I don't know if this ever became famous, but it should be famous. He says, the way of the world is your life for mine, but the way of the gospel is my life for yours. The way of the lamb is my life for you. We get married, you, you like, or, you want, or you start dating some girl you like, and really what it's about is what you get out of her. <laughs> and of course, ladies, you do the same thing to guys. But you know what marriage is? Marriage is not what you get out of that person. Oh, I'm so in love with you. Can, will you marry me? That's not the point. <laughs> the point of marriage is I want to love you. I will love you 10 years from now when you're not very lovable. That's what the point. That's the point of marriage. 20 years from now, when you have cancer, I'll be there for you. You know the chances that your spouse or your, your parents, your mother-in-law gets cancer or your brother-in-law gets cancer is? And then you're going to go through that pain with her? You know what the chances of that is? It's high. <laughs> Make sure you think about the next time you're dating somebody. All of you single people, this is, this is, I'm giving you some good marital advice here. You're dating somebody. You're like, do I want to take care of my brother-in-law 20 years from now <laughs> with her? That's what you're signing up for if you want to marry her. Right? And if you can do that, your kids will learn. And you'll be a good heavenly citizen. Right? One more example, and then I'll go to the close of my message. How about attitude toward other nations? This passage talks about other nations. Do you know that the city of God is multi-ethnic? It is not monoracial. It is not monoethnic. Gosh, that's great, because I love Chinese food. <laughs> There's no Chinese ethnics in my city. <laughs> I'm like, I'll, I'll show them, like, where's Chinatown? Because that's where I want to eat first. And if there was no Chinatown or Chinese ethnics in the city of God, I would say, how could this be heaven? That's probably what I'll think. But you know what? It's not just food. Every ethnic and racial group shows up in the city, and what is the normal thing? Segregation. Everybody shows up inside of their culture, and what is the normal thing? I just need to go, need to go be around my people and eat my food and, and then just be comfortable in, in our way. So it's our way, you over there, your way. Our way over here, your way over there. If you want to show up here every now and then, that's cool, but this is how we are. We, we definitely do it here, this way. You know, every culture, every race, every ethnicity, you know what they want to do in the city? They want to take power and impose their way in the city. Every culture loves cultural imperialism. They all do. Because <laughs> again, what's the city for? Our money, our way, our pride, our greed, our pleasure, our comforts. So every culture wants to do it this way. But what if there was a people whose culture they bumped up against another culture and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to use our glory to serve you so that you can contribute your glory and we'll be humbled by your glory and we'll get to enjoy God's glory together. How about that? Hmm. How about that? And do you know that throughout history, Christians have attempted to do this, but usually this is how they've attempted to do it. What they do is they commission somebody You'll be our missionary, and you're going to go to that faraway country over there, and then you're going to suffer because you won't get their culture, and then they, they might kill you. 
But what you're going to do is you're going to help bring the gospel, the heavenly civics, into their culture, into their nation. You know, it's a great, incredible, glorious thing. But then how come we don't do it if those nations come into your backyard in your own city? Somehow, missionaries go over there to help their culture, you know, learn something glorious. We're going to contribute something from our culture into their culture, and then their culture is going to come forward and meet Jesus, and then they will, like, you know, they'll develop and something incredible will happen. We want to send people over there to go do that thing, but what happens when they come into our backyard? We, we don't do that in our backyard because in our city, it's always about us. It's about our comfort zone and about our ethnicity and our comforts. That's how we operate. But is that, should, be that, isn't, should that be the way heavenly citizens operate? I talked about this in last week's message. In Antioch, they started breaking that rule. <laughs> and they were first called Christians because they didn't know what to call them. So think about those three things. All right. There's a game to watch. <laughs> let's, hear, let's hear the good news. Um, I want to close by talking about seeking worldly fruits versus the Lamb's tree of life. In this passage, there's, so, there's actually, this whole passage is worthy of, of, of a whole series. There, there's so many... And if, you've, if, you know, if, you, if you listen to me preach, you know that the gospel is one thing, but it's multifaceted. So I give you the gospel differently every week. And in this passage, my goodness, there's so many doorways into the gospel. It's incredible. And so all week long, I'm like, oh, I can use this doorway, I can use this verse, not this verse. <laughs> the one I want to talk about is the tree of life. In this city, there's this thing called the tree of life. And it says the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And I want to give you a, a meditation on, the, on what this means, the tree of life. For those of you who don't know, in the Garden of Eden, there were two special trees. They could eat of all the trees. One tree was forbidden. That's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then when Adam and Eve broke that, you know, basically all hell was unleashed on the world instead of heaven. But there was another tree called the tree of life. And if they ate of that tree, they'd live forever. And as soon as they sinned, God said, you don't get the tree of life. And um, I've been meditating on this tree of life thing for many, many years. And every time I come to this passage, I, it's, it's like an, another chance to meditate on this thing. And, um, and here's the way I want to end this message. Everybody, all of you, when you're growing up, you're all looking for a tree of life. You know that? You're looking for some place. There's a fruit that you can pick and if you eat this fruit, oh, it'll just make your life everything. It'll be everything. Some of you, you want to eat of the tree of romance. That's the fruit you want. Some of you want the tree of career success. Some of you want the tree of fame, right? It's like so good in my job that there'll be incredible fame everywhere. And then when people adore me, that will be, that will be the tree of life. But everything in this world is like this. Every fruit. So the fruit is kind of symbolic of everything that we want to eat that, was, that, that we're trying to use to fill us up. So you guys ever been to like a, you know, a really cool restaurant? 
So like nowadays, the thing is hamburgers. It's like hamburgers is like the new burger. <laughs> There's all these cool burger places that are opening up. So you ever go to a new place and then they have a burger that's like on a whole nother level? Right? It's just on a whole nother level. And you eat it and you're like, oh, so exciting. Right? And then the second time, not quite as exciting. <laughs> and then the third time, mm, pretty good. And then the fifth time and the tenth time, it's old hat. I remember the first time I ate In-N-Out Burger, I could not believe it. I was like, I can't believe this burger. It's cheap. It's better than McDonald's. It's better. It's better. You know what? Every fruit of every tree that you wish was the tree of life is like that. <laughs> you will eat that fruit. And after you get it, it'll be so great at the beginning. Ah! <laughs> You're going to get into that college that you wish, and it's going to be so exciting. Yes. You will, you, know, you will get that promotion. Yes. You will drive. You, know, you go from Honda Corp to BMW, and it's going to be like, yes, I have arrived. Okay, sorry, that's, okay, that's boring. You go drive from BMW <laughs> to Tesla, and yes, I've arrived. And then you know, one year later, if you spill coffee on that seat, you will not care. <laughs> <laughs> You will not care because that's the only kind of fruit there is in this world. It's the only kind. So when God said, you can't get to eat this tree of life anymore, on one hand, it was a punishment. There's a, there's a fruit from a tree of life by which you could live forever. But let me just stop for a moment there. It's not just any kind of fruit. Let me ask you a different question. What if somebody came to you, some genie came to you today and said, you, you could live this life and you will never die. Would you take that deal? Would you take that deal? You better not take that deal. That's a stupid deal. You know what's going to happen to you? Let's say instead of you living you know, 80 years, Let's say for sure you know that like, coronavirus will hit and you won't die, <laughs> right? Old age will hit, you won't die. You will still look pristine. You will still have your good looks. You will still have your athleticism, everything, okay? You'll have a pristine memory at the age of 200, 300. Do you want that deal? You better not say, take it. You know what's going to happen? Let's say you make a lot of money by the time you're like 70 years old and then you're 150, you're still just as good looking as ever. You're on your fifth wife. Okay, you, you, you have like five houses. You've eaten at every restaurant. You've already been to every exotic place. And then the travel channel will be like, I've already eaten that fruit. And after about 200 years, you know what you're gonna want? To die. <laughs> That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> you're gonna want to die. There has to be a tree that you eat whose fruit is so good and when you eat it, you can eat it and eat it and you want to live forever. Get it? I'm giving you a secret as to the nature of eternal life. You want to live forever. Okay, the Super Bowl's beckoning. Let's get at it. This is why it has to come from a lamb. 
Have you ever done anything in your life you want to give a blessing to somebody? In order to give this blessing to somebody, it's really hard. It would require some real serious sacrifice. It would require for you to like eat crow and be super humble and actually require suffering and pain in order for this blessing to be given to this person. I mean, maybe you've never done that. Maybe there's nobody you'd ever do that for. One of these days you'll have a kid and then hopefully you're not such a bad parent you actually want to do this for your kid. Right? I mean, there's like I've done crazy things like just out of my way to like, like I, I, I don't even like Cupertino, but we live in Cupertino <laughs> just so that my daughter can get Chinese, okay? It's crazy the stuff that I've done for my kids. But you know when they get that blessing? You know, every, everywhere you suffer and you serve and you're going down and you go lower and lower and lower, you know what that movement is? It's like the lamb. It's love. This is real love. It's not a feeling. Real love is the kind of servanthood that a God who will be like a lamb is showing us. This is love. And that kind of love cannot be stopped, will not be stopped. I'll do anything to serve you and reach you so you can have shalom. Anything, including die. I will die. I'll suffer. It'll cost me. There'll be no pride. I will even die. If you ever get into a place in your life when you can ever even, even hope to possibly go into that direction to serve and love somebody like that, now you're getting ready and starting to go on the pathway to be ready to eat from that tree. Because the tree of life is the same as the cross. <laughs> because that thing I just told you is not a theory. <laughs> it happened. God Almighty became a lamb so that he could be sacrificed on a tree. And the tree will say, I will serve you so you could have shalom. And I'll do anything so you can have this blessing. And until you have first received it, you can't possibly imagine you could, you could even give it. So here's salvation. Salvation is not just that God would forgive you or that he would give you heaven or that he will accept you and love you forever with infinite love. That's all incredible. But his infinite love offers this. He'll say, I want you to share in giving infinite love with me. <laughs> and if you would not be stopped to go be a lamb for somebody else, you will never be bored to live. You will always want to give this glory to somebody else. And you could eat of that tree forever and ever and watch the healing of all the nations. I think that's the tree of life. And this is the invitation into heavenly civics. I think this is the invitation. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to heaven and everything's not built yet. <laughs> we get to heaven and then you know what's gonna happen? All the detestable things will be gone and everybody will show up with this lamb's heart and the glory of the lamb will shine on us.
And we will say, I will love you and serve you to the nth degree like the Lamb has served us. And for the next thousand, ten thousand years, all the glories of all the nations will fill up this place. It'll never get boring. Let's pray. Father, this is um, an incredible thing. The human heart, you made infinite. And then we always try to fill it with something finite. The fruits of this world, money, success, fame. How can these things fill an infinite space? But instead, you give us the fruit of the tree of life, an infinite love from the Lamb, from you, Jesus. And we pray that that infinite love that could be stopped at nothing, including death, would fill up our hearts unto infinity. Thus we could live forever with each other and watch glories upon glories upon glories that never end forever. Help us to be citizens like this it's always going to be in hope. It's always going to be in faith. But we pray that you'd walk with us, O Lamb of God, and make us run to you and be like lambs with you for our neighbors, for their shalom and their blessedness. In Jesus' name, amen.